Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. I want to talk to us about three important words. The first one, examine. The second one, is prove and the third one is no this morning and it's found in second corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 let's read that verse examine yourselves whether you be in the faith prove your own selves know ye not your own selves how that jesus christ is in you except ye be reprobates the apostle paul was highly criticized by the corinthians they criticized every part of his life his age, his basically bodily appearance. They criticized his speech, his doctrine, his literary style. They criticized him on every front. In response, he writes these two letters. And in these two letters, what he says to them is, in each one, examine yourself don't judge others look in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 what it says wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord but let a man what examine his neighbor examine his wife no examine her husband no examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, now look how important this is. For this cause, many are weak, sickly, and many sleep or die prematurely. For if we would judge, examine, scrutinize ourselves, then what? We should not be judged. Anybody want to stand before the judgment seat and not be judged? The rest of you, you don't mind being judged? <laughs> Anybody want to be judged? I'd rather not be judged. And he said, if you don't judge, then you won't be judged. But if you judge, the same measure you judge other people, you'll be judged with. So, let's look at these three words. First one is examine. Number one, examine. But notice he says, examine yourself. Look in Matthew 7, verse 1. Examine yourself. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that's in your own eye? Ouch. Or how will thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. In, in our language, you would say, your brother has a toothpick in his eye and you've got a telephone pole in yours. So why would you do that unless you first of all take care of your own situation? So he says it's important to examine yourself and not criticize others. Take care of your own life. Look at yourself. So he says examine yourself. Well, for what reason should we examine ourselves? Well, let's look at some. Number one, 
to determine whether or not we're in the faith, he says. To determine whether or not they are truly in the faith. Now, my goodness, why would he say that to this Corinthian church? Why would he tell these people? Well, there were a lot of people in that assembly of believers. Many of which he didn't know whether or not they were truly saved. Maybe some were, some weren't. There are professing Christians and there are possessing Christians. To profess is one thing, to possess is another. To profess Christ, anyone can do that. But to possess Christ is another thing. For example, you can take a cross and you can display it on your window. You can display it in your home somewhere. You can take it to work with you, put it on your desk at work. Or you can, as some do, take a cross and just hang it from your mirror in your car. But just because we hang a cross everywhere we go, does that mean anything? If the cross isn't in us, is the cross in me? Has the power of the cross penetrated my soul and my heart? And that's what Paul is trying to address with these individuals. Same thing with uh, the ark. You can say, I believe in the structure of the ark. I believe in the gopher wood. I believe that its design is perfect and it can float. And if the storm does come, I believe it's going to be able to sail. But that won't get you saved. You've got to be in the boat. You've got to be in the ark. And that's what he's trying to tell these people. Look, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to possess it and to have it. You've got to get in the ark in order to be saved. And so he's concerned about their well-being. Secondly, he goes on to say here, nothing is more important than whether or not we're saved. And you might say, well, why are we talking about this here and now? You realize the world that we live in right now. Our children are growing up in a society that at this point has no rules. Think about it. No standards to live by. No different than what they had back then. But they're exposed to so much, especially with the social media and all that's out there for them to really capture their attention. And if they grow up in a church as well, it becomes even more difficult because they feel like as though because I grew up in church, that means everything is okay with me. But you know what? That's not always the case. We need to evaluate our own hearts, examine our own lives, which is what Paul's saying to them. Nothing is more important. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Nothing is more important. And I'll be honest with you, even to sit down with our own children and, and really talk to them. Have you really accepted Christ into your heart? Is He the Lord and Savior of your life? Are you following Him like you should? Jesus said to His disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lo will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? Or what advantage does he have if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So, why should we examine our hearts? Nothing is more important. Why should they? Because nothing is more important than this. You can live your life to gain everything the world has to offer. Fame, fortune, popularity. The list goes on and on. But guess what? When the time comes and you leave this realm, none of that can get you into God's holy presence. We are now living in the land of the dying. And the moment we were born, we began to die. And when we die, we will go to the land of the living. And that's where we're going to spend our eternal 
being. But where we spend it is going to be determined by what we've done living here in this realm. Have we accepted Christ? Is He truly in our hearts? Nothing is more important than this. I can't emphasize that enough. Nothing is more important than knowing I'll spend my eternity with Him in glory. We're eternal spirit beings. We'll never cease to exist. The next point, why should we examine our hearts every so often? It can be too late. And remember, remember He's addressing these particular people. It can be too late. Do you remember the rich man and Lazarus story that Jesus talked about in Luke 16, 19 through 31 when he said, uh, that is the rich man said, Father Abraham, you know, I've got five brothers on the earth. Go and tell them about this awful place. And why did he say that? Because Father Abraham told him, there is nothing that we can do for you now. It's too late. You can't come over here and we can't go over there. It's too late. Oh, can you imagine? Just take a moment and think that through. You find yourself in this place of torture and suffering. And you're crying out for help. And you see Lazarus on the other side, comforted. And you say, please just send him to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm tormented in these flames. Please, can you do that? And he says, I can't. It's too late. You had your opportunity when you were living on the earth. It's too late now. We can't cross over to you. You can't cross over to us. He said, well, please send him back from the dead to go and tell my five brothers. Well, it's kind of late for that too. He's not going to go back from the dead. So it's important because it can be too late. If you, for example, filed for bankruptcy because of, let's say, financial issues, you go through bankruptcy. As long as you're still alive and breathing on the planet, you can still rectify that at some point in your life. You can still, let's say, gain another fortune. But if you found yourself leaving this realm spiritually bankrupt, it's too late for eternity. Is that a sobering thought? For eternity? For eternity. Next, many are deceived. And many are mistaken. Proverbs 16 verse 25 makes it very clear to us. It says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end of that way are the ways of death. Think about that. He's telling these Corinthians. Look. This is not about do you think something? Examine yourself to be certain that you're in the faith. Examine yourself to be sure that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Examine yourself. Why? Because it can be too late. And when it's too late, it's over. There is no second chance. In the book of Hebrews 9 verse 27, it tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. That's it. There is no second opportunity once we leave this realm of life. And we don't want to live by the mentality that, well, I'm okay. Everything's okay with me. Well, examine your heart and make sure that everything is okay. And that's what he's telling these people. But why is he emphasizing this to them? And you're going to see in just a moment. But before we do that, let's consider what he said here. There are many ways that seem right to a man. I just put one in there, you know, about Scientology. Just to let us all know. These people that think that this is okay. It's okay for me. 
Is it? They don't believe that there's a heaven to gain. They don't believe that there's a hell to shun. And so they're deluded and they're deceived into thinking that their way is a good way. And that's how they want to live their lives. But the end thereof is the way of death or eternal separation from God. And what do we hear today? What are our young people being taught today? There's many ways you can get to God. As long as you believe in God, is that true? Not according to Jesus. Examine the scriptures and find out what they teach. Find out what Jesus himself taught. And it's just mind-boggling to me that how many people don't want to quote Jesus. And they view Jesus only as a good man. They view Jesus as a great teacher. They view him as a perfect role model that you can maybe follow and look up to. And that's okay. But he's more than that. He is the second person of deity who left the glory world behind, who robed himself in flesh, who came to the earth to speak to us and tell us things that we didn't know about. He spoke in times past to the fathers, but now he appeared himself to tell us about life, death, and eternity. And he said, I'm the only way, truth, and life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Isn't that what he said? He's the only way of salvation. And so it's important that we recognize that people can be deceived. And if the blind lead the blind, they're all going to be deceived. And that's why, beloved, it's important for us to be soul winners and let other people know about Jesus. Because he is the only way. And then lastly, to remove all doubt. There are a lot of people that struggle with this. Am I truly saved? Am I really saved? Well, examine your life. Examine yourself. Examine the scriptures. Do a self-examination. What does that mean to examine myself? Very simple. Take a spiritual inventory. Locate yourself. Find out where you're at periodically. Why? So we can be certain we're following the plan of God. Number one, the first part of that plan is what? I need to be saved. Am I saved? Am I born again? Is Christ really li living in me? And again, young people, you find this to be true after you leave, let's say, high school and you go off into college and you get around other people with different mindsets and mentalities and all that. And maybe it was your family that brought you to church and you went to church on a regular basis only because that's what you did as a family. But guess what? You're on your own now. And if you have him on the inside, it will show up on the outside. Can you say amen? If he's on the inside, it will manifest on the outside. And that brings us to my second point. What's the second word that he used? Prove. Why did he use this word prove? Because it's stronger in the Greek than the word for examine. Examine first and then prove. Prove yourselves. Examine yourself and prove to yourself. Prove it. I want proof. Nothing wrong with proof, is there? Okay. Now, let me show you the difference. You can examine a horse. Look at its teeth. Look at its size. Check it all out. Have a doctor come or a vet come and, and check it out completely. That's examine. But you don't prove it until you take it home for a week and ride it and see what it can do. That's proving it. You can look at the boat and check it out, examine it from stem to stern. You can find out exactly what it's made of, its, its construction and all that. But you don't prove it until you take it out on the sea for a week and see what it can do. You can take an axe that you want to buy and you can get all the material, you can read it. 
you can look at its design, its craftsmanship, and find out what it's made of, what kind of wood it's made of, and the kind of metal that's being used. The feel in your hand, you can examine it and look it over and over and over and just say, this looks like something I'd like to buy. But you haven't proven it yet. You prove it when you go into the woods. And you're out there in the woods, and you start hacking away, and you start cutting down trees, and you find out it's got a good fit, it's got a good feel, it didn't break, and the blade is not becoming dull. Now I have proven it. Oh, in the younger days, my younger days, when I'd go to a car lot, you're a younger person, you want to drive a car, and you look at that car, and all you're thinking about is driving a car, and you're drooling, and you're chomping at the bit, and you want to get behind the wheel. It's got chrome reverse wheels. It's got tire black oil. We use tire black oil to make that thing shine, look like you can eat off the engine and all that. I'm looking at that thing on the lot, and my mom and dad, my dad's looking like, you know, okay, that's a nice-looking car. I'm looking at the car. I'm examining this thing from front to back. Beautiful. But you know what? They started it up and it didn't run. <laughs> or you drove it home off the lot after you paid for it and then it's leaking oil. You examined it, but you didn't prove it yet. The proof is where? Does it function? Does it work? Right? So what is he saying to them to prove themselves? Prove that you're in the faith. Prove that Christ is alive in you. Prove to yourself and to others. And that brings us to the place of how. How do we prove ourselves? Well, let's look at some of these things. The first thing is love. Love. We're told in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, this is the acid test that I know that I know that I'm not going off the coattails of one of my family members. I'm not saying I'm a Christian because my grandmother's a Christian and my mother's a Christian. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know I'm a child of God. Because I've passed from death to life knowing that I love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Love, love, love is the number one acid test proof positive. Because when you get saved, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And you can't help but to love. You can't help but to love God. You can't help but to love people. You just love that's what Jesus taught. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. But how am I going to do that? Because you see, if I've passed from death to life, I'll be honest with you, and I'm, I'm saying this seriously with all my heart, with every part of my being, I cannot hold a grudge. I can't hold unforgiveness. It doesn't matter what anybody's done to me, talked about me, how they treated me, whatever. None of that matters whatsoever. Because I know the love of God that's in my heart won't allow me to do it. I love with all my heart, and that's all there is to it. Oh, does it hurt? Oh, sure it hurts. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Love, as far as I'm concerned, is what guides my life. And so I know I've got the acid test. And there are many other ones. If you're born again, you have the life of God in you, then the witness of the Spirit will be there. But also look at this next one. It's obedience. And this is a word I think sometimes that people want to shy away from, especially today, because they think about works. P people say, well, you're saved by grace through faith. I know that but four good works. 
Okay, so look at this word, obedience. Obedience. What did Jesus say in John 14, verse 21? He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. That's the proof. Prove your own selves. And he that loves me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Please listen carefully. If I know him, if he's in me, then I'm going to love him. And if I love him, I will obey him. I will keep his commandments. I will do what he told me to do. But we have a mentality, I think, today, it doesn't matter what you do. As long as you've accepted Christ, it doesn't matter what you do. I beg to differ with that. If you are genuinely born of the Spirit and washed in the blood, you will have a desire to obey God. And that includes many different things. But keep His commandments. Not to be saved, but to prove that you are saved. Can you say amen? The next one is, and this is going to be a powerful one, righteousness. Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 20. Righteousness. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, Jesus taught Paul all that he knows. Okay, so let me preface it by saying this. And Jesus is teaching and he says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, now wait a minute. Let's examine the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Hmm. They were always in the temple. They were always in prayer. They were always in the word. They were always given their tithes. Were they not? So externally, they were doing a lot of different things. Their righteousness came by the law. And the law was, of course, something that they adhered to. And so they did all these righteous works externally, outwardly. But they couldn't save them. Because look what Jesus said in Matthew. 23 verses 27 and 28 about them woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites you're like you're like wadded sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outward but are within full of dead man's bones and all of all uncleanness even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity okay so he is saying okay you're doing all these external out outward righteous acts but inwardly you're dead and he came to show them they needed righteousness that exceeded external righteousness and works look at 2nd Corinthians 5 21 for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ it's not our righteousness it's His righteousness that He imputes to every single one of us who accept Him as Savior and Lord. Now, why is this important? Their righteous outward acts were based on keeping laws to be saved. You and I believe in Jesus and accepted Him as our Savior and Lord. And we have Him on the inside of us who is our righteousness. And conversion will prompt us to live righteous, holy, godly lives. Will it not? If they could be prompted to do good works based on a dead spirit only adhering to the law, 
How much more should you and I live the way God wants us to live? Because on the inside we have His life, His nature, His power, His righteousness, His holiness, His godliness has been imparted. We have the divine nature of God within and it should be oozing out in areas of our lives. Should it not? Absolutely. So that's an acid test. We can prove Look at Second Corinthians, I mean, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11. And this is from the New Living Translation. Now remember, Paul is addressing these Corinthians who were criticizing him for many different things. But he's writing the letter to them to make them aware of the fact that they have a need to examine themselves. Because although you all look like everything is okay, um, your maybe thinking is off or it's askew. Okay, so here's what he says to them. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by their works, and by the Spirit of our God. What's he telling them? Now that you're righteous, your righteousness on the inside should show up on the outside. And you see all that that God doesn't like? Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Or am I misreading something here? Is he not warning them that you need to refrain from all that? Because it can't be good for your soul. So if you are of the, born of the Spirit, look at the next one. Fruit. Fruit bearing. I remember someone somewhere said at some point in time, fruit bearing is proof that you belong to the tree. Every branch in me that bears fruit. Right? And Jesus made that very clear in John 15. Fruit bearing. What kind of fruit am I bearing? Okay. So the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our lips, the fruit of good works are all fruit bearing aspects of our lives. And if we are truly in Christ and we're living for Him, then we should be bearing the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of what? Good works. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness should be manifested in our lives. Look in the book of Titus when Paul wrote to Titus. And notice, once again, Paul wrote, so therefore Jesus taught Paul everything he knows. Jesus taught Paul. So he's basically echoing Jesus. He's telling them what Jesus taught him. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and that every good work reprobate. Notice the word reprobate there. Because remember Paul said to the Corinthians, Christ is in you except you be reprobate. Look at the next verse in Titus chapter 1 again. Verse, or chapter 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from, our all, from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of what? Good works. And then look in chapter 3 and verse 8 of Titus. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain what? 
good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. No, they don't save us. But what are they? Proof. It's, and why am I pointing that out? Because if we can, oh, I don't need to go to church anymore. I don't need to give to God anymore. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I don't really need to study my Bible anymore. I don't need to pray anymore. I've done this. I've done that. Something is happening. That's called backsliding. That's called I'm, I'm missing the boat. Something on the inside is lacking. I am not feeding my spiritual condition, my spirit man. Because you see, if I can engage myself in all those things that displease God without conviction, then guess what? My conscience is seared. Let me, let me make that very clear. My conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron, Paul said. You know what that means? You can handle something that's really hot because you're so seared, I'm so seared that it doesn't bother me anymore. I, I gave this illustration years ago, my, my grandfather. My grandfather, my, on my father's side, my father's father, when I was a young boy, I would go in, in the kitchen, he had a little, ki little, little small kitchen, and I'd go in there and help him with the dishes one day. He's got the hot water running, and he's, dry, he's washing dishes, and then he's rinsing them off with the hot water as it's running. I went to put my hand, hand out of there, and my good, I pulled back, it burnt. And my grandfather just had his hand under there like it didn't bother him at all. I said, doesn't that bother you? He goes, no, it doesn't burn me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. He was used to having that kind of hot water. I know of someone that would drink hot coffee. Anybody else would just burn everything in their mouth. But they were just so used to drinking it so hot, it didn't bother them at all. What is that? It's seared. It doesn't affect you anymore. And the thing is, we're living in a world right now in which people are, again, exposed, especially young people, to all kinds of different lifestyles that really displease God, but yet the conscience can be seared as with the hard iron thinking that it's okay. Oh, it doesn't matter if I don't forgive somebody and hold a grudge for a year. Oh, my goodness. If this doesn't convict us, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. You say, well, what does that mean? I don't want to find out. Do you want to find out? But if you're bitter, the root of bitterness springing up will defile you. What does that mean? And sometimes the motive behind it is so I can get away with it. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it means if you're bitter, you can be defiled. It shoots poison throughout your entire system. Do you want to find out what that means? Or would you rather just say, I'm not going to be bitter toward anybody. I'm not going to hold animosity. I'm not going to hold unforgiveness. I'm not going to hold bitterness or anything of that nature. And you see, when you do that and you live like that, you're proving that the life of God in you is greater than what you're facing in this. And then look at the last one. Continuing in the Word. Continuing in the Word. Who said this in John 8.31? Jesus said, Then said Jesus to them, the Jews that believed on Him, If you continue in My Word, you're My disciple indeed. Next verse says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But what's the acid test? If you're really a disciple of Christ, then these things should be automatic in our lives. Because we're fruit-bearing trees. If we're branches in the vine, He's the vine and we're in Him, then the life of the vine should manifest where? In the tree, in, in the, the, the limbs, in the fruit of the tree. So if He said, make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, because the tree is known by its fruit. Hey, that's an apple tree. That's a pear tree. That's a peach tree. That's a plum tree. Right? There's an orange tree over there. 
Why? Because we see the fruit and we know that's what it is. And didn't Jesus say that you and I are supposed to let our light shine among men? That they may see our what? Good works and do what? Glorify our Father in heaven. So in other words, the life that we live on the outside proves who we are on the inside. And that's why he said every so often, Paul told these people, look, examine yourself. That doesn't mean you're not saved, but you know what? There could be someone here in this congregation that may not truly be saved. I don't know that. But I believe it's my responsibility to share these blessed truths that we can examine ourselves to be certain that we are. Does anybody want to be lost for eternity? No. And that's why it's important. So at the beginning of this year, and as we enter into fasting and prayer, beginning on Wednesday, let's take some time to reflect upon our own lives. Let's take some time to think about who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. And how we can live our lives to be more pleasing to Him. As Paul said, we labor, we labor to be accepted of Him and to be pleasing to Him. And to live a life that will glorify Him. Amen? And I believe we all should. And you know what? The leadership of the church here, that's exactly what we're doing. We're evaluating what's happened last year. And we're looking forward to a year that we promote a greater move of the Spirit of God in this place and provide an atmosphere in which God can be glorified, yes, but the needs of people be met. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.